Hour number three kicking off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Let's hit the phone lines. Let's grab Grant Ramey, VolQuest.com, on three sports. Grant, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. How y'all doing? Doing good. En- are you enjoying the off week so far? Why-, why is Tennessee not playing basketball this week? Has it been explained? Uh, I think it's because the Big 12 SEC Challenge used to be in January, and that got replaced by the ACC SEC Challenge, which was played in November, and uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, when the schedules came out, everybody had like a little mini bye week kind of built into the uh, into the conference schedules, and I'm, I'm not complaining. I don't hate it. I don't, I don't think it's the worst idea because this is a very uh, grinding time of year for college basketball teams, so it's probably a good time for somebody to, to get a little bit of a break and kind of reset and uh, kind of focus on the stretch run here. Well, as we are able to reset and reflect, I ask you, Grant Ramey, what is the most interesting thing currently with Tennessee basketball? Uh, this kid named Dalton Connect. They got out of uh, northern Colorado. <laughs> he's pretty – I mean, I don't know. I, the stuff he's done is just insane to me. It's amazing. Um, yeah, because he had that little lull in December, and you wondered, like, is he coming back down to earth? Because he was, he was pretty incredible the first few weeks of the season. And it felt like defenses adjusted to him, and you're waiting for him to adjust back. And, and the adjustments or whatever he's made, or maybe it's just being healthy after dealing with that ankle issue. Uh, what he's done is, is insane. He's doing stuff like there's there's a new batch of stats after every game. It's like this hasn't been done since Grant Williams or Chris Lofton or Allen Houston or Bernard King, you know, the, the biggest names in you know Tennessee basketball history. So for him to continue to do it, uh, it's crazy, and he's given them this offensive punch that they've been looking for for so long under Rick Barnes. I mean, this team plays defense. We saw it on Saturday against Alabama. They are elite on the defensive end. They can score the basketball, too. I mean, they put up 91 points, and, and it's not that crazy for them to be scoring over 80. It seems like night in and night out. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he is, I want to say single-handedly, because we've talked about the emergence of Jonas Adu, but like Dalton Connect has has taken Rick Barnes's system and has taken Tennessee's offense from, you know, a question mark and a an Achilles heel, something that holds you back and you know would rank in the fifties or sixties in terms of efficiency. So he's almost single handedly got that up to top twenty. And you know, there is a very realistic chance that he, you know, is is runner up for National Player of the Year or even steals it. And I do agree with you; he is the biggest story. He's the man. Yeah. And what's so, what's so impressive is just just all the different stuff he does. Like he he drives right, he drives left, he finishes with either hand. He's as comfortable left-handed as he is right-handed. Um, if you give him room, he's going to stop at the foul line and pull up and shoot it. If you give him space on the three-point line, he's going to shoot it. It's just the three-level score, and it does feel like not only is he scoring, but he opens up so much stuff for Jonas Adu, for Zakai Ziegler, for for whoever those secondary scorers are on any given night. Hey Grant, it's uh, this is Bob. It's good to meet you. I've been following your work for a while and uh, really appreciate the the stuff you do at On Three. To take that a little further, uh, my observation too, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, is you know we talk about Dalton, and obviously he is the biggest story that's centered around this basketball team. And John touched on it a little bit too. But when I watch the games and I'm there in person and I see the I see difference in spacing. I see all sorts of differences with that offense, and it, and it leads me to wonder uh, or get your thoughts on: Is it more than just Dalton? Dalton helps elevate all of that, but I, I see some of this in terms of Barnes uh, really 
progressing in and understand, you know, accepting the fact that it's a different kind of game offensively, and it's it's refreshing to see because now we 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 do we have a legitimate offense with that team uh, that's consistent, and and then having connect in there is that secret sauce that makes it all happen. But I would you agree that it goes beyond just him? It's also some of the development of the other players and also again maybe the coaching staff's openness to let them shoot we heard that from coach barnes actually in an interview a couple weeks ago it's like i'm you know surprisingly i want them to keep shooting right and i think there has been some adaptation there by rick barnes um we were talking to greg polinski one of his assistant coaches i can't remember when it was maybe a couple weeks ago and he kind of mentioned that um sometimes it's you you get too focused on scheme and how you want to play and you kind of get away from what personnel you have and, and trying to play to their strengths. And I feel like there's been some adaptation where they're trying to play to the strengths of this cast, as opposed to just Rick running his schemes and what he's want, what, what he has wanted to do traditionally over the years. And they've wanted teams in the past few years to shoot the basketball. Cause he's talked about it. It feels like every October, November, he's talking about, we can shoot the basketball. We want to be a team that shoots 33s a game, whatever. And maybe that fades going down the stretch, but, but with Dalton, it feels like he's opened that up. And Jonas Adu's his development on the offensive end is, is pretty incredible to watch. Uh, Jemai Meshack looks like a different catch-and-shoot guy than we've seen in the past uh, in terms of what his game has looked like in previous seasons. So I think there has been some adaptation, some changes based on the personnel, uh, based on what this team does well or, or how this team can su- succeed the most. Uh, and I do think you have to credit Barnes a little bit there for, for kind of adapting and, and trying to figure out because – that has been the talking point for the last however many seasons. Like, at some point, you got to be willing to trade some of this elite defense for more offense because you can't go into the NCAA tournament and get down eight against Florida Atlantic in the Sweet 16 and feel like you're down 18 because you don't know who you're going to turn to to go get that bucket. And so far, you know, it's only January. There's a lot, a lot of season left, but it feels like this team is at least different on the offensive end because they know who they can turn to to go get that bucket. Talking with Grant Ramey, VolQuest.com, covers basketball here, has done it a long time, one of the best. Grant, I am going to give you a name, and I want you to give me your level of confidence in this player on a scale of 1 to 100. Dalton Connect. Uh, 95. Josiah Jordan-James. Um, 85. So you're not worried about his, his recent – scoring struggles or not even recent I mean it's just long-term scoring struggles I guess no I think I think with Joe and Santi both they're not scoring like they have and I think Joe had a pretty good start to the season we've seen him tail off here the last whatever three weeks however long this kind of slump he's been in and it feels like Santi's also kind of struggling to uh, I don't know so much of the offense went through Santi the last three four years where now it's that doesn't have to happen because you have other guys that can score. I do still think those guys affect the game and make winning plays and help you in rebounds and help you on the defensive end and help you um, just as veterans on the floor. So I'm not terribly concerned. Uh, I think with Joe, I kind of feel like I felt with Justin Ga- uh, Jordan Ganey uh, the last couple of weeks. Like if he sees a shot go in, I think that's going to help him. I think, I can't remember Joe a couple of games ago. Maybe it was Florida. He had an early three, and I thought maybe that would help him snap out of it. But he didn't do a ton of scoring after that. But I feel like those guys are veteran enough and skilled enough and versatile enough to help you win basketball games, even if they're not hitting shots, even if they're not scoring a ton of points. 
Yo, let's go to Jordan Ganey next because we are coming to Jordan Ganey coming off of a 15-point game, so your confidence should be a little bit higher. Uh, yeah, probably in the 70s. Okay. Um, because he, it just feels like if he hits one shot, he's going to hit four shots. But yeah. he, if he misses one shot, he's going to miss four shots. He's a guy that's going to either give you a bunch of instant offense off the bench or, or he's going to struggle. So I think he helps them more than he hurts them. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see if he can put a couple of those games back-to-back like he had against Alabama, like we saw him at Wisconsin and you know a couple of those games early in the season where he was a really a pretty productive six-man off the bench. So uh, I need to see him do it again, but that was a pretty big step in the right direction. J.P. Estrella? Uh, right now, probably in the 50s. Okay. I think he's got huge upside, and I think he's made a lot of progress in the last couple of weeks. And I think him and Freddie DeLeon both uh, getting valuable minutes uh, they're not a ton of minutes, obviously pretty limited, but they're playing in the first half. They're, it seems like they're taking steps in the right direction. I think the future is bright for both those guys. I was going to ask you about Freddie. Um, he's he's gotten some minutes. Still doesn't feel like, as a, from a fan's perspective, still doesn't feel like it's enough. I'm sure from Freddie's perspective, still doesn't feel like it's enough. Um, do we do we think that he's Maybe a flight risk at some point. I mean, if the minutes don't Im- increase with him. Uh, I mean, you never say never. Um, I've, I've kind of had it described to me that he's got pretty level-headed parents who are patient people who, who would be willing to wait out the process and, and want him to be the best basketball player that he can be and not necessarily just jumping to the wherever he thinks he can get the minutes first. Um, I think it has been a pretty big development that he has been in the rotation a little bit in the first half of games lately, uh, because that means in Rick Barnes' eyes and, and kind of the way he describes it, that he's preparing the right way and he's starting to do stuff on the practice floor that he needs to do to earn those minutes. So uh, I think those are steps in the right direction. I think everybody's a flight risk in this day and age. Um, I think Rick Barnes has said it himself. If, if you're not contributing in your second year in the program, then, and your coaching staffs are worried about you leaving. And, and obviously, Freddie's been here uh, right at a year now because he got here last January. So um, who knows? There's a, there's a few weeks left. I don't, I don't know what Freddie's planning or, or what the thoughts are going through his head. Uh, but the fact that he has played some minutes, it seems like a positive development moving forward, both for Freddie uh, and for Tennessee as well. Switching gears a little bit to football, Tennessee was able to land the commitment from – Four-star quarterback George McIntyre. Grant, have I been gaslit by On3? Because I swear yesterday everyone was calling him a five-star, and I checked out his profile on On3 today, and it's got four-star all over from every publication. Yeah, uh, I'm probably guilty of that myself because I was just kind of out of habit referring to him as a five-star quarterback, and then I pulled up his profile at some point yesterday evening, and I was thinking, uh, whoops, uh, I shouldn't have called him that because that's not what he – I mean, but he's at the same time, he's number 16 overall player. Uh, in the on three industry ranking, which is a you know combines all of those and kind of weigh, weighs them out. So uh, five star, four star, whatever, he's elite, and, and it's a huge deal, obviously, uh, for Tennessee to continue to land elite talent, uh, but more so at quarterback like that, like Josh Hoffel has been able to do uh, the last few years. So five star, four star. Uh, bottom line is he's elite. Well, it doesn't play. It doesn't help with the conspiracy that my producer Sam has that he immediately went down just because he committed to Tennessee. These Tennessee fans in their persecution complex, my God, they they think the on three in the recruiting industry is out to get them. 
Well, I, I don't know. I can't speak to that. I don't. I don't rank players. I'm not smart enough to rank players. I'm barely smart enough to to put words on the internet without them being riddled with typos, which they probably are anyway. So not the spell check. I, 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 <laughs> the spell check. Uh, spell check doesn't always catch it. Uh, I, I'm I'm living proof of that. How does this upcoming 2025 class rank in state compared to other years? I've seen a lot of people talk highly of it. Is it just because Tennessee's in the mix with more of those guys, or is this upcoming class actually special? Um, I think it's pretty special. I mean, obviously, when you're starting with George McIntyre, that's a really good place to start. I mean, a, a four-star quarterback, number 16 overall in the country, and, and he's coming to Tennessee, and you can build your classroom around him. Um, that's obviously a big deal. Uh, Cameron Sparks is a, a four-star athlete running back out of Chattanooga. Uh, he's a top 100 guy, uh, number 63 in the on three industry ranking. So um, I'm not sure how it stacks up in terms of what Tennessee's best classes have been. Uh, but when when you're talking about starting with something like Cameron Sparks and a, and a George McIntyre uh, in the state of Tennessee, that's a that's a pretty solid foundation for a class. Yeah, we were trying to you know think about the best high school quarterback prospects from the state of Tennessee and it doesn't seem like there's been a, a whole lot of them I mean Chad Pennington a first round pick you know went on and was good in the NFL but you know he was a Marshall Marshall college football player so you're right when you when you start where you're starting with McIntyre you're in kind of unique rarefied air as a guy that you call elite which to me an elite quarterback has a chance of being a first round pick so good start for Tennessee Ending up here, finishing up here with Grant Ramey on 3 volquestcom You don't have to give me a prediction. You don't have to tell me what you think is going to happen. But whenever we talk about Tennessee basketball, the question's always postseason and how the season ends up. I think this team has a different makeup than Barnes's teams in the past. Is that something you agree with or is it all too early to tell? Um, I think I agree with it because we've seen it pretty consistently in terms of what they can do offensively. Um, and I think they scored 80 or more points nine times in 36 games last year, and they've scored 80-plus in uh, – I don't I don't know what the number is I think now, it's 10 times this 13. year. I think, I think they've already done it more times this year than they did last year. Yeah, and they've scored 94 against Ole Miss and 91 against Alabama and 92 at North Carolina. So it does feel different, and it feels like – uh, you have that player of the year guy. And, and they had that in Grant Williams uh, in 1819, 17, 18, 18, 19. But with Dalton, it feels different because with Grant, it was dump the ball down the post. He's going to get you a bucket. With Dalton, it's get the ball in the stands and just get out of the way. It doesn't matter where he is on the court. He can bring it up. He can be that point forward guy. So it feels different um, as long as the, the defense is going to be elite, as long as that offense stays consistent. You know, Tennessee was the number two team in the country at the start of February last year, and they went to Florida and they got whipped, and they ended up being a number five seed. So a ton can change in the next six, seven weeks, however long it is until Selection Sunday. Uh, but it, so far, what we've seen um, pretty consistently, it feels like a very different team. It feels like the first time that you could legitimately compare um, the current team to that 18-19 team and the run it went on. Do you have a pick to uh, win the Royal Rumble on Saturday? <laughs> I could. could not tell you. I got a uh, Good man. I Good player. man. I got I got a Ric Flair shirt at my closet. That's, a, that's as far as my wrestling knowledge goes. Ric Flair's not going to win it, so I'll, I'll tell you that far. Appreciate you, Grant. Thanks for hopping on with us. Thanks, Grant. All right. Appreciate y'all. See you. VolQuest.com, the go-to kind of OG of covering Tennessee athletics. We appreciate Grant for 
hopping on with us. Hey, staying on basketball for a second, um, and Grant mentioned him, and we, we've we been talking about this. We recognize that this is uh, could be shaping up to be a special season for Tennessee basketball, and we at the morning show think that we need to continue to provide you as much insight from the coaching staff as possible. You know, we had Coach Barnes on on our first show. That's not going to happen all the time, obviously, but uh, what we can tell you is uh, – Assistant Coach Greg Polinski is going to be joining the show on a weekly basis starting on Thursday. Um, and Polinski, for those of you who may not know about him, he is a really highly credentialed coach, has uh, head coaching experience at the collegiate level, uh, spent a lot of time in the league in the NBA as a you know, director of scouting. He's, uh, he's got a lot of great insight, and he's also a valuable part of Coach Barnes's staff, too. So we're excited to have him joining us uh, again starting Thursday. It should be uh, should be a good one. Uh, we're we're looking forward to hearing from him, for sure. And appreciate Grant for hopping on. I do think his point about the difference between Grant Williams and Dalton Connect. I think that's important. I do think that's important because I don't want to ever downplay Grant Williams and his talent and you know how good he was at Tennessee, but he was not a creator in the sense of, like, you could give him the ball anywhere on the court. He was not a guard that was bringing the ball up. He was not a guard that was, you know, really setting things up for other people. He was usually, like, either in the high post or low post, dump the ball into him. He'll get you a bucky. He'll get to the free throw line. You know, occasionally they'll double team. He'll kick it out to Admiral. Like, he, he could do that. But to Grant's point, Grant, Ramey's point, you can give the ball to Dalton Connect pretty much anywhere. And you – can create offense off that. Either he shoots a three, either he gets to the rim, either he gets to the mid-range, or he's setting up someone else. And Tennessee didn't have that with Grant Williams. You're right. I remember Grant would shoot an occasional three, but that was almost because the defense was giving it to him. Right. You know, it was like, you know, show us you can hit that. And he'd hit it occasionally, but it wasn't in his typical bag. Whereas Dalton, that's that's like there's like two or three option A's for him up top, which is really that's a that's a game changer. He you can run a complete offense through him, and it, the offense can be versatile, and the offense can get other people involved. With Grant, a lot of times it was uh, maybe a two man game with Admiral. It was a hey, get in the post, we'll dump it down, and and maybe you'll double team, and maybe I'll then get it to a teammate. That's easier to take away in March than it is a player that can do it all and, and handle the ball and have that size that, that Dalton has. So if you're looking for a reason as to why the season could end differently, I'm not splitting the atom here by telling you it's Dalton Connect, but it's Dalton Connect. Sam sent us to break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. All right, I feel like we've talked plenty of balls today. Like we've we've hit that quota and we've got that fill. Let's uh, put Sam on to talk some Titans with us. Sam, what did you think about the hire? Callahan made it official. The Titans bring him on. They have their head coach. Yeah, I'm stoked. Honestly, I'm stoked. I think uh, I think they got a good one. I think it's a good thing, honestly, that that ownership and and Rand Carthon kind of went out and and got their first choice at a candidate. You know, we'll see how it goes, but obviously. You know, it's a guy who's who's had success in the league. He's he's coached a lot of really great quarterbacks. He's been with Peyton Manning, Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, and and obviously Burrow over there in in Cincinnati. So I think he's got a you know a lineage of 
of developing quarterbacks and stuff like that and helping quarterbacks create a system that, that plays to their strengths. And I think that that's a, something that Tennessee's offense has been lacking in the last couple of years. So I'm excited to kind of see what he can come in and, and put his fingerprints on. Now, I, I did see people you know, talking about that same list of quarterbacks he has coached. Are we looking at Derek Carr as a positive? I don't know. Yeah, I saw that too, and I, I thought of that little clown meme where yeah. it's like the three three soldiers behind a wall, and there's just Derek Carr sitting there as well. I was thinking, I was like, that's not his MVP season, right, where he almost won MVP. I think that was 2016 or, so, or yeah. 15, so it wasn't that. Although, in 18, I mean, he still had, I guess, solid enough numbers. But, yeah, Stafford and, and Peyton – you could also argue it was Peyton with the Broncos. So, like, how much was he helping Peyton at that point? But at the same time, you know, learning from Peyton is valuable too. Apparently, Peyton's got a pretty strong endorsement for him, but he yeah. also had a strong endorsement for Adam Gase when he got hired as a head coach. As well, well, that's true. That's true. And he also liked Greg Schiano. I think Peyton, I, I wouldn't be much more interested at this point, Bob, if Peyton Manning came out and said he didn't like somebody. <laughs> He does have that politician. They liked Will Levis. Yeah. They liked Will Levis. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Peyton likes everybody. Uh, you know, sometimes he lets his true emotions come out on the Manning cast with his facial expressions. Yes. About like, what, what are we doing here? What? Time out. Time out. Time yeah, out. Time out. What, what are they doing? Like, he'll question some game management, but I've never heard him come out and say, "You know what? I don't really like that guy. Not very good." It's always positive with him. <laughs> but yeah, this uh, this Callahan guy comes from a coaching tree. Uh, he comes from a coaching family. You know, his dad, a head coach. So, like, you know, I'm not not saying he's the next Kyle Shanahan. I'm just saying Kyle Shanahan also, his dad was a coach, you know, and he got a chance. And now here we are. To me, I think that having those guys, like, with that pedigree is really important, though. You know, I mean, it's obviously not going to – it's not a guarantee that it turns out to that. But, yeah, I mean, he's got – experience from the the Shanahan tree the McVay tree like I don't think there is a guarantee I mean like you you can I, I, there's no guarantee when it comes to evaluating things when it comes to evaluating players some guys just don't work out and I feel the same way about coaches I mean Bob if you were hiring a head coach and you were you know in this similar situation would you have wanted a guy with former experience as a head coach, would you have wanted a former player getting his first chance to be a head coach like Antonio Pierce? Or would you want like a, a coordinator on the offensive or defensive side of the ball? Like to me, those are kind of the options, and I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah, and I don't think there's a textbook answer. I would say, and I'm seeing it, I I, I use the analogy of the team I follow, the Colts, and what they did with Shane Steichen. It's, you know, he came the coordinator route and also relatability in this day and age is going to be super important and I I just don't know I mean there's there's all sorts of variations in the NFL you've got Dan Campbell who's a former player who is clearly creating a great culture in Detroit you got the big names that are out there and I touched on this earlier in the show you know names like Belichick and Harbaugh and Vrabel and all these others and um I, it just makes me wonder why some of those aren't happening quicker because it, I think some of these teams are weighing the same challenge that you just presented. You, you don't know. I don't think there's a textbook answer. And there's no guarantee. I mean, even as good as Belichick has been, has has his time come and gone? You know, could he – is there a guarantee he's going to go into a place, and let, you know, unless he's get loaded with personnel, that they're just going to go and win at a high level? We don't know. Well, I think with Belichick, you're going to have the same situation. You're going to have the same issue everywhere. But yeah. what I, what I've heard out of Atlanta, when I say what I've heard out of Atlanta, when I was listening to a podcast of them saying what they heard out of Atlanta, 
was just that the owner wants Belichick, but that every front office person that works for the Falcons is like, no, don't hire this guy. <laughs> and it might be because they know that he's not going to collaborate. He's going to bring in his own guys, and he's going to try to turn into right. the Patriots. And like I would say it's hard to get a lot of support of bringing a hard-headed guy like that. And if you're Mike Vrabel, you might feel like, hey, I can wait this coaching cycle. I'm still young enough. I'll wait till next coaching cycle. But like wherever I go, I'm doing things my way. Because if you're Mike Vrabel, you probably feel like, hey, we had a pretty good thing going in Tennessee doing things my way until my GM started whiffing on draft picks and trading A.J. Brown, and all of a sudden I didn't have a roster. Like If I go somewhere, I, I don't want to be undermined. So, like, Belichick's going to be that to the nth degree. So, like, right. the game passing him by or, you know, just missing his opportunity, I don't know. But, like, Harbaugh, teams aren't necessarily lined up to hire Harbaugh either to coach in the NFL, and I think it's a similar thing of, like, yeah, we don't want to let one man become too powerful in, in our organization, especially if the organization is the one trying to make the hire, right? Like, it's one thing to get there, win a bunch like Belichick did in New England, and then he gets the power. It's another thing to come in and want the power, you know, from the get-go without having proven yeah. it at that place. But, I mean, like, when you look at the guys left in the Final Four, what do we got? We got we got John Harbaugh, who comes from a coaching family, who was a special teams coordinator, which I've seen some people say, you know, special teams coordinators, that's who you should be hiring because they have to work with guys from both sides of the ball and just mm-hmm. kind of piece things together, and they're always having to kind of be versatile. No one's really drafting for the special teams, you know what I mean? Like you're just kind of right. taking the scraps and throwing them out there and, and trying to make the best you can. And and Harbaugh has been a really good coach in the NFL, but even he was on the way out. He was on the way on the verge of getting fired till till Lamar Jackson saved him his rookie year. You got Andy Reid, who was a retread. So like if you're anti-retread head coaches, you would have been anti-Andy Reid because he got fired in Philadelphia, and you'd have been like, well. What's the point of hiring a fired coach? And then Andy Reid, of course, has gone on to have a better career in Kansas City than he did in Philadelphia. And then in the NFC, you do have a former player who got his first head coaching experience and has now turned around the Detroit Lions. And you got Kyle Shanahan, who is a, a nepotism baby like Brian Callahan is, who, you know, comes from a a coaching family who, you know, was born on third base, but, you, you know, who who worked and, and developed respect and, and kind of proved himself as a coordinator. And, you know, he's thought of maybe as the best coach of the four that's still remaining. Or not, I take that back. Not not over Andy Reid. Andy Reid's the best of the four. But, like, uh, Shanahan gets credit for being a top two or three coach, usually, at least when it comes to X's and O's and scheme. So, like, what I'm saying is all four of those guys have different different paths. Yeah. So, like, you know, you can hire somebody from every direction and, you know, you might get a winner. You might get a loser. Have there been any absolute train wreck former players get hired? They're, like, you know, not too far removed from the league. I mean, like, Rivero is, a you know, a, a former player. And, I mean, he's old at this point. And Singletary with the Bears or the 49ers, excuse me, coaching with the 49ers, playing with the Bears. Kind of a train wreck. Small sample size from last season, but Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday. Yeah. That was a disaster, man. Well, he was a former player, but also like not a coach at all. Like typically, yeah. like yeah, typically true. you're gonna have to at least do some coordinating and position coaching. Jeff Jeff Saturday's like, Yeah, I coached a little high school ball, maybe. Like yeah. you guys didn't give him a chance, Bob. You should have given him a couple game. more years. He did win his first game, and boy, he was walking with some swagger like yeah, we we got this right. The Raiders should have fired Josh McDaniels on the spot after losing to <laughs> Jeff Saturday. True. Like, cause what what the hell does that say about you? if you get beat by a guy with no coaching experience. But, like, I do feel like the former players who actually rise to the level of being head coach, they they have a pretty good track record between Campbell 
and Vrabel and D'Amico Ryans. Yeah. So, like, they've had some pretty good hits lately. So, maybe that would be my path. So, maybe Antonio Pierce can kind of fall in those footsteps. No, I agree with that. And I was thinking about the Titans, too, and the fact that you guys are basically kind of following the same path you did with Vrabel. And that, that worked, I mean, up until the last season or so. And um, I, I I do think, you know, if you think about some of the coaches that are having a level of success coming from the coordinator tree, um, it's been there's been some good ones for sure. You know, I mentioned Steichen, and that's an early sample, but, you know, we'll see. Because who would have thought in year three we'd be talking about Nick Sirianni maybe losing his job? I think that's been settled now, but – he looked very, very strong the first year or two. Yeah. It's just, it's fair. It's so fleeting, man, in the NFL. Like it's, it's almost like the equivalent if you had the player equivalent of running backs in the NFL. They don't last long. I could say the same for, outside of a select few, I could say the same for coaches too. Side note, just since you brought up running backs, but it is important to note that the analytics community is is, is stressed about the NFC winning the Super Bowl just because. You always say, don't pay running backs, don't pay running backs. Well, or also don't draft running backs in the first round. So whoever comes out of the NFC has invested heavily in the running back position with with Christian McCaffrey and Jameer Gibbs. So I'm personally rooting for the NFC to win a championship for that reason. I would love Christian McCaffrey to lead his team to a Super Bowl, kind of as their undisputed best offensive player, maybe their best player overall. So, you know, he's got the running back position on his back, and Jameer Gibbs was – Pretty explosive at times for the Lions against the Bucks on on Sunday. Yeah, so real talk on that. I remember watching Gibbs at Alabama and thought he was just a monster. But when he got drafted as early as he did by the Lions, were you questioning that? I was. They had two first round picks, so like it, I thought they were in a position to maybe take a swing on a difference maker at running back because like Campbell wants to run the ball and like they got that offensive line. So I was like, okay, maybe they can afford a luxury pick because. You know, we talk about Dan Campbell and Jared Goff turning the Lions around, but really their front office has just hit home run after home run with free agents and drafts. And, you know, it was really, for me, the Lions' second first-round pick where they they drafted the the linebacker from Iowa that, like, wasn't highly rated at all. Like, that was the one I scratched my head with. With Gibbs, it was kind of like, okay, you maybe could have traded down and got him later, but yeah, I, I kind of saw the vision, but... At the beginning of the year when they were barely giving him the ball, that was a little bit of a head-scratcher. I was like, okay, why did you draft Jameer Gibbs in the top 12 and then decide you're going to give you know, David Montgomery 20 touches a game? Like To me, that wasn't adding up. But you know, Gibbs is fresh right now, Montgomery's fresh, and they do have a two-headed attack. And if they're going to beat San Francisco, it's going to be from – Gibbs making plays and Montgomery being able to get short yardage and like, you know, like it might be a recipe for success. And if they, if they're able to make a Super Bowl, then I don't, I don't think you ever question those draft picks again. Now Gibbs has made a believer out of me. I mean, he's particularly back half of the season. He's been electric. I mean, he's, he's as good as Detroit obviously thought he would be. So that turned out to be a good move. I understand positional value when it comes to that, you know, in the NFL and like, hey, you want to invest on the lines and quarterback and all that and, you know, running backs and and guards and receivers and all, you know, or not receivers, but uh, uh, tight ends and such. They're they're not as valuable. But to me, when you look at the first round of the NFL draft, it seems like it's 50-50 on whether or not guys can play. Like, when you look at the actual first-round picks, like I feel like 50% of them end up being busts and guys who can't play. So it's almost like just draft the best football players and, and get as many good football players as you can on your team, and like it'll work itself out. And that's kind of what the Lions have done. And like I said, they, they seem to have hit home runs at wide receiver with St. Brown and 
and tackle with Sewell and uh, running backs with Gibbs and you know that they've on the defense side of the ball Hutchinson's been a monster like they've they've done a really good job of hitting on the guys they need to hit on Laporta at tight end right Laporta at tight end's another guy like you 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 thought maybe they drafted him a little too high and people were excited about him and he's been you know a top three or four tight end if you look at the whole entire year I mean bold move last year when they they tra- I was shocked when they traded Hawkinson you know they had Laporta but I was like my goodness but Man, that's turned out just well, fine. Yeah. Well, they didn't have Laporta when they did it last year. They, he's, he's a rookie. Like they just yeah, he's got a rookie him this year. Yeah. So I mean, like they they hit a home run there too. So like they they have done it. And you know, Campbell gets to look tough and rah rah and do all that, <laughs> and he's he's able to do it with a really really good roster, a complete roster behind him. Did you ever see his thing on Hard Knocks when he did the up downs with the team? Have you heard that whole? When he's with the Dol- when he's with the Dolphins? No, or? with the Lions. Oh, the Lions. Oh, okay, no. That was last season's okay, Hard no. Knocks. He did like they they had a drill with the team where they were doing up downs, you know, and they did like fifty of them, and he he they rolled tape on the whole thing. He did the whole thing with the team. I mean, that's pretty pretty damn strong for a coach. Well, that's the same thing Vrabel used to get out there and do too. He used to get out there and do the blocking drills with the yeah. uh, with the linemen. So we talk about relatability in these coaching hires. That does that does matter, but overall, Sam, uh, letter grade, you're you're pretty content with uh, the hire of Brian Callahan to coach the Titans. Yeah, I'm content. I think this is like a B plus hire. Okay. Yeah, I'll give credit to the Titans for at least looking like they had a plan. It, it yeah. does seem like every step of the way, at least the way it worked out, he was the first person they requested an interview with. He was the first person they requested a second interview with. And, like, you know, once they were able to say they checked the boxes of the Rooney rule, like, he's the first offer and they got the job done and hired him. So, like, I'm not saying he was the best candidate, but it, for whatever reason, they have honed in on him as the guy they want to be the coach. And it seems like they got the guy they wanted. I think they did their due diligence on him, too. I heard that, you know, you saw that David Shaw got brought in for an interview, and I saw somewhere that, uh, Callahan and, and Shaw had crossed paths in the NFL at some point. So I think that interview was kind of like a cross-reference, like, hey, let's make sure this Callahan guy is who we want in charge and stuff like There's that. There's also talk of bringing David Shaw in to help. Yeah, And David yeah. Shaw like, is on record coach. of never wanting to go back to college to coach football. Mm-hmm. In a podcast I was listening to him talk, he's like, hey, with the way things are now, like I would not really go back to the college at all. So he wants to get in the NFL. So, like, you know, maybe he's a guy that comes and is an offensive coordinator, you know, kind of like what he did at Stanford before taking over for Harbaugh and – you know, you, you got another set of eyes there in terms of guys who has experience, you know, head coaching. But I'm excited to have an offensive coach. I'm excited to have a young coach. You know, when you when you look at some of the names we mentioned, Jim Harbaugh is a great offensive mind, but he's not necessarily what you'd consider modern at any point. Maybe this time you get a modern offense. And, and maybe you bring T. Higgins home with you. <laughs> bring T. Higgins back to Nashville. Titans got a lot of cap space. They need, they need a wide receiver. This guy's familiar with T. Higgins. Bring him home. Higgins likes him a lot. He's had, he's had great things to say about him. It does seem, you know, that's a good point by you, Sam. You keep mentioning that. But, like, Higgins had positive things to say about him. Stafford was glowing about him. Like, I know we made the joke about Peyton. But, like, Stafford was like, hey, this guy's a difference maker. This guy's a stud. And 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 that, to me, is – that gives you hope. Now, whether or not that's just them talking about their friend they worked with and – Wanting to look positive, you know, we'll see. It'll depend on if he wins games or not. But I'm pretty content with the hire. We'll wrap this show up on the other side. We'll get you to the 10 o'clock hour. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.
just ask me if I like sweet stuff. I I appreciate you not making the assumption that I like candy and sweet stuff. I appreciate you asking. But yes, I, I do like my sweets. You don't get to be as hefty as I am, Bob, without liking a little sweets. I'm just eating this uh, thing my, my wife sent me with. It's a little... Uh, Is it foreign? It looks foreign. No, nah, it's called... Uh, now this one's called True Bar. Oh. And it's uh, plant-based. No gluten. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. Hold on. You're losing me a little bit with the plant-based and, oh, come on, man. and gluten-free. No gluten, no dairy, no soy, no sugar alcohol, which I, that seems to be a new thing these days. All delicious. There you go, some marketing. Um, it's good. It's actually good. And it's like uh, 180 calories and 120 grams of protein. No, yeah, 120 grams of protein. It's not bad. I'll bring one for you tomorrow. See what you think. Is there anything we need to hit sports-related? I feel like we kind of got everything checked off that needs to be checked off. I just want to make sure. Anything on the list we needed to get to? No, nah, it was kind of a slow night last night. There's you know a lot of good college basketball tonight, yeah. which is good. We, did, we didn't have any of the, the best coaches in the sport decide to retire or get fired like we did. In the the Eagles fired their offensive coordinator, actually. So they didn't make that official, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. that's that, – how do you go from a coaching candidate, a head coaching candidate, teams were interviewing him for a head coaching spot, and then he just gets fired as a coordinator? Like to me, that that doesn't add up. And you know, I feel bad for him because he was the name that people were kind of circling whenever you we would see his name for like coaching interviews. They'd be like, "Oh, that's a Rooney Rule guy. That that's a black head coach. That's a coach they have to." To interview for the head coaching spot to, to meet the Rooney rule, and I kind of felt bad for him, but I was also like, yeah, <laughs> the Eagles offense kind of sucked this year. When the Titans were, like, getting linked to him, I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> Not, no disrespect to him, no disrespect to the Lions defensive coordinator, but both black candidates. But I was like, are they actual candidates, or are we, we just trying to check the boxes that the NFL makes you check? Which I think that's a whole nother thing, like, in terms of what's right, what's not right, and if you're you know, if you are that candidate, is it embarrassing to go to those interviews or do you take the opportunity to get reps and make connections? Because, you know, like you could maybe do good in the interview or, you know, make some connections down the line. I don't know. But I will say whenever he was linked to the Titans, I was like, hold on, please no. I hope that's just to check the Rooney rule box. So now he just got fired and the Eagles are now looking for an offensive and a defensive coordinator, uh, coordinator correct? Second year in a row. Well, on one hand, I thought both those guys sucked. On the other hand, Sirianni did not do well in hiring those guys whenever he did. So, That's like, true. if he's replacing his coordinators again, he did not do a good job at doing that this past year. And it does seem like it's a lot of pressure because just in the NFL, he probably goes into the season with the hottest seat. I was going to say, this does kind of feel like a make-or-break yeah. coordinator hire in terms of, like, you know, the the bad end of the season and kind of some For the franchise, turmoil. too. I mean, for the franchise, I, I think they have to get it right for, you know, Jalen Hurts, too, because yeah. he went from guy that you thought was a top-five quarterback to a guy that's all of a sudden now you got question marks about. And it's not good to start having question marks about your quarterback after he signs the big extension, after you give him $255 million. Because all of a sudden the squat, the squat, squat rack Justin Fields jokes seem a little offensive to Justin Fields. <laughs> 
Because Jalen Hurts, you know, they called him squat rack Justin Fields, felt like, ha-ha, Jalen Hurts can't pass. But now, like, Justin Fields is like, hey, I'm better than that. Hold on. And now you've got just, I mean, I, I, don't, I can't remember the number, but they've got a lot of expiring contracts. Yeah, that's the thing with, in the NFL. Like, you, you aren't geared for long runs. It's not the NBA. In the NBA, you can, you know, have those teams that knock on the door, knock on the door, knock on the door, and you hope they break through. In the NFL, you don't really get that. That's why, like, with the Packers, yeah, you're young, but, yeah, you might not get back. Same with, like, the Bills. You, you kind of maybe lost your window. The Eagles maybe got one more year. Even the Cowboys, you know, you look at those guys, like, you don't have many opportunities. Trust me, as a Titans fan, we just saw it. Yeah. Which we kind of knew it. You know, we were on borrowed time with Tannehill and Henry, but, like, that, that window slams shut and it's over. And you get three or four years to take swings at it. Not everyone's the Chiefs. Not everyone's the Patriots. Those are very, very rare. We talked a little about the. You mentioned the Patriots that uh, Gerard Mayo throws out that they're going to burn some cash in the off season. Yeah, it's been an interesting uh, start to his tenure. First, he had to, you know he was making jokes with Robert Kraft about you know his brother's name being black, and then then there was the stories of uh, his wife's Twitter likes. Do you see that? Yes. They, they they found his wife's Twitter likes, and she has been watching some girl on gore, uh, girl on girl, girl pornography on Twitter, and wow. people were. Just kind of be like, hold on, if you're going to be the first lady in New England, maybe maybe don't make this so public. And then, yeah, then you got Mayo making news for saying, like, yeah, I do see race, and you need to see race, or, or else you won't be able to spot racism. And I'm sure that goes over well with the, a Boston fan base like New England. And then, yeah, now he's putting the pressure on his front office to go spend some money. So he's made some news there. Sure has. He's not doing things the Belichick way for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> another And another one in the pro game making news we didn't talk about um... – how smart is C.J. Stroud? Given money now to an NIL collective for Ohio State, like fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. Not just you know, like uh, I'm not giving you a hundred dollar check. I'm giving you big money. Yeah, I'm curious how how prevalent that is amongst like these new age of college athletes that go there and get you know first round money. Like, are they are they giving back? Because I mean, like you have. You'll have the stories, at least on the second contract, where a player goes and they'll donate a million dollars to like their former high school and get them new facilities or their right. college. You know, it's a nice tax write-off. You get your name on a building. You feel good. But, like, I do wonder how many now are getting back and being like, hey, I'm going to give some bread to, like, my teammates. I mean, because those are basically like C.J. Stroud. He's giving money back to the collective that like, some of those sophomores and juniors were his teammates. Right. And he's trying to help, you know, them and, and also, you know, help Ohio State stay competitive. And I did think that was pretty cool. For him to to have that number come out and it makes him look everything everything he's done has just been <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, master stroke on every level. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's impressive. They even now came out and said that test that he did so bad on last year might have been, might have been yeah, it might have been yeah. false. It might have been fake. That story. really, yeah. I think that might just be the the S two test people coming back and trying to rope that one back. You know, well, it's like, even worse <laughs> for them to say it was false. Like it's it's even worse for them to like be like, hey. Uh, we didn't squash this whenever it was costing maybe him millions of dollars of like draft positions. I guess that's true. Yeah, I wonder how Josh Dobbs did on that S two test. Uh, the S two, I, I think it's pretty new, right? Yeah, I, I, I was gonna say, I think the S two is a kind of a new age wonderlick. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, we got to be on the lookout for who has the worst S two score this maybe, year. Maybe draft that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if CJ Stroud did so terrible at it, maybe draft that guy because right. it doesn't maybe matter. Turns out if you played good against that Georgia defense last year, chances are you're going to be pretty good in the NFL. And not only was C.J. Stroud pretty good in the NFL, he's a top you know, 10 quarterback. All right, I'm sportsed out for the day. Oscar nominations have officially hit. 
Bob, are you a movie guy? I know you're a TV guy. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't see as many movies as I'd like, but I, I love the movies. Sam, of these 10, I believe 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, yeah, 10 pictures up for best picture. Have you seen it yet? Have you seen the list? Uh-huh. All right. How many of these have you seen? American Fiction, Anatomy. No. That was not your fault. That one's now just finally got to Knoxville and downtown West. Like I, I think I'm going to have an embarrassingly low amount of numbers on this list, but go ahead. Anatomy of a Fall? Mm-hmm. Never even heard of that one. Barbie? Did you watch Barbie? I didn't watch Barbie. Bob? Barbie? Oh, I saw. We saw Barbie. The Holdovers? No? That's Paul Giamatti. That's, uh, I've heard about that, though. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, he's like at a... Not, well, not an institution, but a, a boys' school, uh, what a, what a private school, a board, boarding school. Boarding school, yeah. And like these kids get held over the, like, from like the winter break, their families didn't come get them, and he befriends like a guy. That one's okay. I think I've seen that preview. Yeah, that, that, I watched it. That was a solid movie okay. to me, not worthy of like best picture, but okay. Killers of the Flower Moon. You watched that one? No, but I really want to. Okay, Bob, you seen that one? Saw it. Is that on streaming services yet? It is. I believe okay. it hit Amazon, correct, or Apple? Was it Apple or Amazon? Apple. Apple. Apple, so like, Apple. funded that. it. Yeah, I'll watch that. Okay. Three and a half hours, so pack yeah. a lunch. I like long movies. I watched Oppenheimer twice, remember? That's true. <laughs> well, Oppenheimer's up for awards, so you've seen that one okay, twice, I've all seen right? That. <laughs> Maestro, that's the uh, the Bradley Cooper movie that he, like, Oh, I watched that. Yeah, yeah, I you've watched seen that. that. Yeah. Was it good? I thought it was pretty solid. Where did you see that at? I just went in and watched it in theaters. Oh, it was in theaters? Yeah. I didn't even see it in theaters. Bob, you said you... I watched that over. I've break. seen it. It's uh, it's a little long and slow for me, but it, it's good. And Cooper's performance is pretty amazing. I heard he spent like a year practicing how yes. to be like a maestro or someone like yeah, that. Yeah, that's know. absolutely right. It's, it's, it's one of those... I don't want to say star making because obviously Bradley Cooper's a star, but that, that's like puts him in a different stratosphere if he can direct and star in a movie like that. So I, I'm not surprised that it took him a year to kind of really dedicate himself to that, and he's gotten the the buzz and and such on it. Past Lives, that's an A24. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like an Asian cast. I haven't seen this either. Nor have I. Poor Things, that's the Emma Stone movie. Have not seen it. And the zone of interest. So of those ten, I mean, we, we got a couple. We got like three or four. Yeah, I'm gonna go see American Fiction soon at Downtown West. I'm gonna go watch that one. That, that one's based off a book. Looks good. Yeah, looks good. And I need to go see Poor Things as well. My one of my resolutions was to watch all the best picture movies. I thought there was only like five or six, but I guess they do ten now. <laughs> gonna have to go watch ten movies. It's Although a lot I've of seen, hours. like I said, three or four of them. The 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 biggest uh, thing early takeaway from what I saw here, there weren't that many surprises. However, given the the magnitude of Barbie and, you know, um, such a, a pro-woman theme, the fact that Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie both did not get nominated is a little bit of a surprise. Also, Gerwig didn't get nominated for Best Director? Nope. Nope. Only one female did out of five. Which I get with I get with Margot like she wants to be nominated for Best Actress, but to me the that award's a, a slam dunk for Lily Gladstone from Killers of the Flower Moon. I, yeah. I think that she runs away with that as the actual award. And I think and I saw she got nominated. I think America Ferrera's performance was better in Barbie than Margot Robbie's, honestly, as a supporting actress. So yeah. that was strong. Um, and Gosling got nominated. Yeah, for uh, for Barbie. So uh, there will be some there will be some blowback on that. I'm certain of it. Uh, Shout out to my girl Emma Stone, though a, a true queen, up for an Emmy for TV and then for a best uh, best actress in, in movies. What a year for her! 
What yeah. a woman. Absolutely. Um, even though her Ever since she busted into my life on, on Superbad. She, uh, <laughs> her TV project, she probably deserved to be nominated to work through that dreck. Um, I still would like a sit-down explanation of what happened in, the, in that TV show, but you do have to acknowledge how good she was in, in The Curse. She was good. Yeah. Very uh, unlikable, and that's what you wanted. Good heel. Another lesson from wrestling. There you go. You yes. can be a good bad guy if you get people to boo when they're supposed to boo. And every time she was on the screen, I wanted to boo. Absolutely. Um, anything else on Oscars? Nah, I mean, like, I feel like actor, you know, the, that's going to be a, a race between, we talked about Bradley Cooper, Paul Giamatti for the holdovers. I think he'll have a shot. Cillian Murphy, Killian Murphy. I never know how to say that. Killian. Killian. Killian Murphy. Yeah. For Oppenheimer, they're they're all good. Coleman Domingo in uh, other years would be a winner. I mean, I, he, I haven't he, seen Rustin. I don't. I haven't seen yeah. this. I just know his body of work. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, as an actor, and I mean, he's a top tier guy. So I'm not surprised he's nominated. But uh, and Jeffrey Wright's great too. So that's a that's a great category. Yeah, um, I'm a little nervous about going to the movies two days in a row because I mean, like, that's not good for my my popcorn consumption. But I got I got a couple of these I need to check off and. Ideally, before they actually like air the Grammy, uh, the Oscars, I would like to see them before they actually like give the awards out. So, gonna have to do a. I wish that this this would have said like where you could find these movies. <laughs> I would like to suggest that to whoever does these lists. Like, hey, yeah. streaming now on so and so. Okay, so back a little favor. Back to sports as we wind down again. Some pretty good college basketball tonight. Um, as far as ranked teams going, uh, Purdue plays Kentucky plays at South Carolina. And Sam and I, we love our Kentucky basketball. <laughs> That's we, true. We heard that yesterday. So this will be an interesting test for both teams, really, to see if South Carolina is legit and um, see if can, can, Kentucky can keep the momentum. Another game that's sneaky good is uh, Houston at BYU. Mm. Um, BYU is pretty good this year. They really tough are. Tough place to play. Yeah, tough place to play. Houston is um, stifling uh, defensively, about the only team more elite defensively than Tennessee. But um, – should be an interesting one. Uh, so there's, there's some good games tonight, and then tomorrow night the biggie is uh, our boys uh, that we just beat Alabama hosting Auburn. So, and tomorrow we have uh, Chris Dorch on the show uh, from uh, Blue Ribbon Basketball Yearbook. Just got nominated or not nominated. He's going to be inducted into the U.S. Basketball Writers Hall of Fame too. So uh, some uh, high cotton with that guy. He's going to come in and join us and talk college basketball. He's uh, he's got a lot of good insight there. Excited to do it tomorrow. I, I, I got to go and write some strongly worded letters about them uh, snubbing across the Spider-Verse and the Iron Claw and, and Greta Gerwig because there was a couple misses, I thought, in the Oscars list. But, Bob, Sam, appreciate you. The G.I. Jake Show coming up next right here on Fan Run Radio.